So good morning, Eastside family. I always like to start out a lesson by saying take your Bibles and turn to, but my problem is we're going to be in about 14 or 15 different Proverbs, so we're going to be moving around so fast. So I guess I would say take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 8. We're headed there in just a minute if you want a passage to go to. want to let our children ages 3 through 3rd grade go to junior worship. They're heading that direction. If you are new here with some children, then just watch the parents that are headed in that direction. Last week we started out, well, wait a minute, we're still having our, our trays. Well, we can go ahead. Last week we started out with a video that someone, one of you had sent me. It was kind of an advertisement that related to the theme of our, our series that we've been in for the past uh, six weeks. And, well, I want to start out again with another video to, to kind of, it also connects with our, our series, the theme that we're talking about. Christy White, but no kin to me, about eight to ten weeks came to me and said, Eddie, I have something in my heart I want to share with the church family. I said, indeed, we'd love for you. It's, it's related to, to what we're talking about in this series. Well, Christy is on her anniversary with, with Sean, and so she can't be here today. So we are having Christy share with us via a pre-recorded video. Let's listen to Christy as she shares. Growing up, the topic of giving would either bring up feelings of fear or guilt or dread for me, I think most commonly. I would hear the story about the widow's might or uh, the parable of the talents and a lot of those negative feelings would, would arise. And then there was the passage in 2 Corinthians 9 about sowing and reaping. Remember that whoever sows, sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I would hear that and I would feel a lot of fear about my own giving. I did not feel cheerful, to say the least. I, I never felt confident in, um, in the idea that God was pleased with my offerings. Then I thought about how a loved one would feel if I was constantly second-guessing a gift given to them out of, out of fear or guilt. Um, did they like my gift? Uh, did I spend enough on it? Am I cheerful enough giving it to them? <laughs> I knew that God didn't want that either, and He started growing me differently, I think. And I started realizing that giving is a discipline and that disciplines take time to grow into. And it's said that spiritual disciplines are habits, practices, experiences that are designed to develop and grow and strengthen certain qualities of spirit within us. And so I started thinking more and growing more in the idea that, well, if someone isn't giving or hasn't been giving consistently, what if we just start with giving an amount consistently that allows for joy and contentment to be present rather than fear or even resentment? A feeling of being a cheerful giver rather than being a giver out of obligation. What if those who've been giving consistently continue into giving more sacrificially? I think God has been showing me over time that, that through my giving, I could also stretch and understand his nature as a cheerful giver. The idea that God loves to give good gifts to his children and that we can participate in 
his nature in that way. It may not come in the form of a financial blessing, but he does tell us to test him in terms of our giving. In Malachi 3.10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And so the discipline of giving comes with blessings beyond just financial blessings. But we have God's assurance that he has his eye on us and that he will provide for us when we give and when we have need. And we can participate in the joy of his nature as a giver. I, sh I shared with you at the beginning of this series that the idea came for this series in our, our governance council meeting. We were looking at the church finances, our budget, our expenses, our income, at our giving, as Christy shared in her, in her words in the video. And because of what we were seeing in the governance council meetings, it was said in the meeting, well, we need to have some teaching on this. Which usually when someone says, we need to have some teaching on this, that means... Kind of like when the words are said, we need to carry the trash out Friday morning and have it ready. So I looked at this thought and I realized that it's going to take more than one or two lessons to cover this topic. Because I realized that the topic is really not, not for the sake of we need to have a six to eight weeks and I just need to preach and preach and preach on this until I just wear you guys out and you finally start, decide to start giving more so that I'll just shut up in this series. But it's because it goes deeper. It's not really about money and giving. It goes deeper into to worship. It touches on the lordship of Christ in our lives, the place of God in our lives. It touches on the commandment of there being no other gods in our lives. It touches on the themes of, of contentment and trust and anxiety. And as I'm going to share with you today, we're going to walk through Proverbs and get our way to the book of Mark. It, talk, it touches on the very heart of, of discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus. And so some time ago, as I was spending a few months with God in the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs does a fantastic job of getting very direct with you, getting very practical with you, and it, and it certainly does on, in the topic of money and finances. I decided to let our lessons primarily flow from the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And so we've looked at our first lesson was a theme of contentment. That's at the root of of where all of this flows, it seems as though. At the root of our problems, a lack of contentment in our, in our nation, in our churches, in our individual lives. We then looked at four keys to wise financial stewardship. And then we've been looking at four keys to unwise financial stewardship. And so today I want us to look at the first key, the fourth key. One of the things that happened as I was reading through Proverbs, I had all these, these verses, they all worded differently. But I began to write them down in my journal because though they're worded differently, they were all saying basically one same thing. So what I want to do now is I just want to, to come at you with about 10 or 15 different proverbs. Then I want to share with you what I believe to be their, their main point, which will serve as, as our fourth key to unwise financial stewardship. And I trust that as I read these verses from Scripture, the Holy Spirit will 
will speak to you, will apply these to you appropriately. So hear the word of the Lord. I begin in Proverbs 28:6. Better a poor man whose ways, better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. 28:22. A stingy man is eager to get rich and unaware. Look at this, that poverty, one who's eager to get rich, poverty awaits him. Not only that, 28.20, a faithful man will be richly rewarded, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. 16.8, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. We see a lot of injustice, a lot of corruption. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. 23.4 and 5, listen to these words. Very practical. Don't wear yourself out. We could just take that home. And in this context, don't wear yourself out to get rich. Have restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they're gone. They will surely sprout wings and fly off to the skies like an eagle. Chapter 11 and verse 4. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. 11.28, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. What are you trusting in? If you're trusting in what you have, if you're trusting in your wealth, if you're trusting in your riches, they will fall. You will fall with them. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. 22.1, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Chapter 19 and verse 1, better to be poor and blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. 19.22, better to be poor than a liar. 15.16, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth. Great wealth with turmoil. And I'm sure if we were to go around the room, many of us would summarize these Proverbs in different ways. But let me share with you how I would summarize these. If I would summarize these in a very simplified way, I would say something like this. Looking at all of these and compiling them together, whatever you do, don't sell your soul to get rich. To expand on that, whatever you do, don't sell your soul for worldly wealth and riches for in doing so, you'll find yourself in the end so very poor, though you may have so much. Or other ways, I couldn't summarize it in one sentence. Perhaps it could be said like this. Don't make the mistake of pursuing wealth at the expense of your relationship with God. That's happening. Don't make the mistake of pursuing wealth at the expense of your family, your children, your marriage, and your inner peace. That's happening. Don't sell your integrity to get ahead. Your character is more valuable than wealth. Or if we were to take all of this and flip it and put it in its inverse to give us this final key, this fourth key to unwise financial stewardship, it could be said like this. Sell your soul to get rich. And I know that's just like 
How silly. It goes without saying. Why would you even say that? Everybody understands that. Nobody's going to do that. But what's crazier than all of that is there's so many people doing that very thing. And what's even crazier is so many of them are church-going people. Some who regard themselves as followers of Jesus, they hear these verses, they hear me make these statements, and they say, not me. Because perhaps they're, they're lying to themselves or they're convincing themselves, if I, just, if I just show up on Sundays regularly and give a token offering, then I'm, then I'm appeasing God and I'm fulfilling the, the, the idea of what Christian faith is all about. When in truth, what is happening, there are too many worshiping God on Sundays but worshiping in the altars of other gods the other six days a week and somehow in doing so, thinking with that, God is pleased. That would be perhaps like me spending six days a week with, a, with another girlfriend. But coming home on Sundays and spending a couple hours with Karen and she's just delighted to spend time with me. I haven't tested that, <laughs> but something tells me it wouldn't fly with Karen. Why then would I expect it to fly with God? Jesus clearly, clearly tells us in speaking of money and finance, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both. You cannot serve both God and money. And while we all with our words would say, of course, with our lives, too many are showing that they're trying to do the very thing that Jesus says it can't be done. And so in doing so, God has been removed from the highest place in our lives. And too many have fallen into and are immersed into a, a materialistic idolatry with the facade of what is now called American Christianity. And all of these proverbs and, and giving us wisdom in telling us not to be eager to get rich, the verses give us this, this strange, reveal a strange irony about riches and poverty. I hear it said constantly that we are the richest nation in the world. But truth be told, in our eagerness to become rich, we have become in so many ways so very poor, though you see so much. We're slaves. We've talked about this, haven't we? Slaves to debt. Storing up riches, as this proverb describes, that sprout wings and fly away. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. And at the end of it all, what do we have? Selling our souls, exchanging our souls to get all that we can here on this earth, neglecting the riches of God, which are eternal, working so hard, as this proverb states, wearing ourselves to, out to get all that we can in this life. And then we wake up and realize we've missed life. Life eternal as well. As one proverb states, all that we work so hard to achieve on this earth, in the end, it's worthless after death as we stand before God. These are strong words from God in Proverbs. But perhaps better job than I could do in summarizing these Proverbs, perhaps we could go to Mark chapter 8. That's where I told you to turn to. 
And we could summarize all these Proverbs as saying by Jesus' penetrating question in Mark chapter 8 as Jesus speaks on the theme of, of profit. And we hear the word profit a lot in the world of finance and the world of, of money management, profit sharing and profit margins. Here Jesus speaks of profits and I love how it's spoken of in the King James Version. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Notice how Eugene Peterson in the message translates these words. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade your soul for Sadly, too many are trading their souls, exchanging eternal heavenly treasures for temporal earthly treasures. And this is evident by the time and the effort and the energy and the direction to which we devote all of those things. And so this is, a, this is a rhetorical question. What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It's a rhetorical question summarizing basically the way I stated it. Don't sell out. Don't exchange what you have in Christ for all that the world offers. And here's what's really fascinating. That passage that you see here in Mark chapter 8. If you were to say, Eddie, you've got one passage in all of the Bible to teach on discipleship. It would be this larger context in Mark chapter 8. This passage is couched into the teaching on discipleship. All that we're talking about money and finance and, 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 and financial stewardship. At the heart of it all is following Jesus. And being guided by the truth of this verse. I will never forget sitting on the couch in Baton Rouge and Jonathan, my son, walking into me and telling me he had made a decision to change his career. He was on path to at LSU. And in his senior year of all years, he said, I just don't want to do this. He said, Dad, I've decided I want to do something else in my life. And he was on a, on a career path that was going to make him pretty wealthy, which was likely influenced by the fact that he'd grown up in the life of a very poor missionary. But he walked into the living room and he said, Dad, I think I want to do something else. And then he told me why. He says, I, listen, I don't want to wake up when I'm 75 years old, very rich, but very empty. He had recently been reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, not on money management and finance. <laughs> he had been reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book on the cost of discipleship. And this had greatly influenced his life. Learning to embrace in life that which is most important. How many of us will be waking up in our 70s or 80s or are waking up with so much? But feeling so incredibly empty with so many regrets. Waking up with so much because we've sought to fill our lives. We talked about this in the first lesson. We've sought to fill our lives with that which only a life of following Jesus can fill. Have we learned that? 
Augustine, the influential philosopher and theologian of the fourth century, in his famous confessions, he wrote these words as, as they were directed to God. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Blaise Pascal, the famous French writer and theologian of the 17th century, wrote in his famous work, Pensees, listen carefully, what else does this craving, we have that, we talked about that, didn't we? What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But, there was, but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there, the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. Famous author, most of us have heard of the last century, C.S. Lewis, who converted from atheism to Christianity in his famous work, Mere Christianity. He said it like this, if I find in myself a desire for something which nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, end of quote. Our hearts innately yearn for and long for and to be filled by God. Next week, we're going to have Senior Sunday. We would love for all of, our, all of you to go to the tables there and, and pick out a verse. It doesn't necessarily have to be your favorite verse, but a verse that can help the, the um, graduating seniors to, to think about and to be guided by, yellow it, highlight it, and put your name by it. And so I went, seniors, and in every one of your Bibles, let's go to the next verse, next slide, please. I, I put this, I highlighted this verse with my name by it. What would it be if, if you took this verse and hid it in your hearts as the psalmist describes in 119. If you took these words of Jesus and memorized them and let them serve as a guiding principle to live by and to shape the daily decisions of your life as you step out into your future. They're words to live by for graduates and for all of us. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. The truth implied by this question is calling us to, to, to live this temporal earthly life with, with an eternal perspective. To ask ourselves, when I step from this life into eternity, what will matter then? about what I'm doing with my life now? How will the decisions I'm making today impact and influence my eternal investments? What really matters? In truth, these words of Jesus on the screen, are, it's, it's, a, it's a call to follow him to abandon the, the materialistic and the idolatrous version of American Christianity and to be an authentic follower of Christ 
This was the call of Jesus to a man who, from a worldly point of view, we call him the rich young ruler. He was loaded. But Jesus looked into his life and knew that he was so poor. And so Jesus said to him, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And then you'll be rich. Sell everything you have indirectly from the text. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Any financial counselor today would say that's nonsense, absurd, ridiculous advice. But Jesus says, with that I attach a promise. No one who has given up all for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and the age to come. Will you come and follow Jesus? I mean, really, follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we receive these words of yours today from the book of Proverbs. And Lord Jesus, we receive these words of invitation of yours to come and to follow you. And we ask that you would take these truths that you've given us today from your word. And Lord, as the psalmist says, hide them in our hearts. Embed them there. Oh, let these words, eternal words, let them, let them grow and shape us from within. Let them guide our decisions and our steps each day. And Lord, we ask in, the, in this quiet moment of prayer... Oh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you, you would show each one of us how these words of yours apply in a practical way for each one of us individually. Father, to, do, to those who are here who have never taken that, that first step to follow Jesus in baptism, God, through the Spirit, speak to their hearts. Convict them to take that step even today. God, there's so many of us. We've lost sight of what it means to truly follow you. We've gotten caught up in the world around us. So we come to you again in prayer, grateful for your grace. Show us what we need to do. Speak to us, Lord. Show us what we need to change in order to realign our lives and our will with your will. And we pray we pray, O oh Lord, as we sang earlier, may it not be our vision, be thou my vision. Riches we heed not, nor man's empty praise, thou our inheritance, now and always, thou and thou only, first in my heart, first in our hearts, high King of heaven. My treasure thou art. Oh, Lord, may those words be sincere words of prayer. Lord, may you be to us more precious than silver. Let's stand and we're going to continue in prayer and our, our shepherds are going to be available to, to pray with you if you would so need to come for prayer. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. 
Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.